This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mark Nelson. The Cosmic Computer by H. Beam Piper. Chapter 3 it wasn't until they were down to the main level and outside in the little plaza to the east of the airlines building that his father broke the silence. That was quite a talk you gave them, Con. They believed every word of it. I even caught myself starting to believe it once or twice. Con stopped short. His father halted beside him. Why didn't you tell them the truth, son? Rodney Maxwell asked. The question, which he had been throwing at himself, angered him. "'Why didn't I just grab a couple of pistols and shoot the lot of them?' he retorted. "'It wouldn't have killed them any deader, and it wouldn't have hurt as much.' "'There is no Merlin, is that it?' He realized, suddenly, that his father had known or suspected that all along. He started to say something, then checked himself and began again. There never was one. I was going to tell them, but you saw them. I couldn't. You sure of it? The whole thing's a myth. I'm quoting the one man in the galaxy who ought to know. The man who commanded the third force here during the war. Fox? Travis? His father's voice was soft with wonder. I saw him once, when I was eight years old. I thought he'd died long ago. Why, he must be over a hundred. A hundred and twelve. He's living on Luna. Low gravity's all that keeps him alive. And you talked to him? Yes. There'd been a girl in his third-year biophysics class. He'd found out that she was a great-granddaughter of Forrest General Travis. It had taken him until his senior midterm vacation to wangle an invitation to the dome house on Luna. After that, it had been easy. As soon as Fox Travis had learned that one of his great-granddaughter's guests was from Poitem, he had insisted on talking to him. What did he tell you? The old man had been incredibly thin and frail. Under normal gravitation, his life would have gone out like a blown match. Even at one-sixth G, it had cost him effort to rise and greet the guest. There had been a younger man, a mere stripling of seventy-odd. He had been worried, and excused himself at once. Travis had laughed after he had gone out. Mike Shanley, my aide-de-camp on Poitem. Now he thinks he's my keeper. He'll have a squad of doctors and a platoon of nurses in here as soon as you're gone. So take your time. Now, tell me how things are on Poitem. Just about that, he told his father. I finally mentioned Merlin as an old legend people still talked about. I was ashamed to admit anybody really believed in it. He laughed and said, Great goo, is that thing still around? Well, I suppose so. It was all through the third force during the war. Lord only knows how these rumors start among troops. 
We never contradicted it. It was good for morale." They had started walking again, and were out on the mall. The sky was flaming red and orange from high cirrus clouds in the sunset light. They stopped by a dry fountain, perhaps the one from which he had seen the dust blowing. Rodney Maxwell sat down on the edge of the basin and got out two cigars, handing one to Kahn, who produced his lighter. Kahn, they wouldn't have believed you and Fox Travis, he said. Merlin's a religion with these people. Merlin's a robot god, something they can shove all their problems onto. As soon as they find Merlin, everybody will be rich and happy, the government bonds will be redeemed at face value plus interest, the paper money will be worth a hundred Federation centisols to the Sol, and the leaves and waste paper will be raked off them all, all by magic. He muttered an unprintability and laughed bitterly. I didn't know you were the village atheist, father. In a religious community, the village atheist keeps his doubts to himself. I have to do business with these Merlinolators. It's all I can do to keep Flora from antagonizing them at school. Flora was a teacher. Now she was assistant principal of the grade schools. Professor Kelton was also school superintendent. He could see how that would be. Flora's not a true believer, then. Rodney Maxwell shook his head. That's largely Wade Lucas's influence, I'd say. You know about him. Just from letters. Wade Lucas was from Baldur. He'd gone off-planet as soon as he'd gotten his M.D. Evidently, the professional situation there was the same as on Terra. Plenty of opportunities, and fifty competitors for each one. On Poitem, there were few opportunities, but nobody competed for anything, not even to find Merlin. He'd never heard of Merlin till he came here, and when he did, he just couldn't believe in it. I don't blame him. I've heard about it all my life, and I can't. Why not? To begin with, I suppose, because it's just another of these things everybody believes. Then I've had to do some studying on the third force occupation of Poitem to know where to go and dig, and I never found any official or even reliably unofficial mention of anything of the sort. Forty years is a long time to keep a secret, you know, and I can't see why they didn't come back for it after the pressure to get the troops home was off, or why they didn't build a dozen Merlins. This isn't the only planet that has problems they can't solve for themselves. What's Mother's attitude on Merlin? She's against it. She thinks it isn't right to make machines that are smarter than people. I'll agree. It's scientifically impossible. That's what I've been trying to tell her. Con, I noticed that after Kurt Fozzy started talking about how long it would take to get to the Gamma system, you jumped right into it and began talking up a ship. Did you think that if you got them started on that, it would take their minds off Merlin? That gang up in Fozzie's office? Niflheim, no. They'll go on hunting Merlin till they die. But I was serious about the ship. An idea hit me. You gave it to me, you and Clem Zareff. Why, I didn't say a word. 
down on the shipping floor before we went up. You were talking about selling arms and ammunition at a profit of two hundred sols a ton, and Klein was talking as though a bumper crop was worse than a green death epidemic. If we had a hypership, look what we could do. How much do you think a settler on Hoth or Mailbulge or or Ermansoul would pay for a good rifle and a thousand rounds? How much would he pay for his life? That's what it would come to. And do you know what a 15cc liqueur glass of Poitem brandy sells for on Terra? One Sol. Federation money. I'll admit it costs like Niflheim to run a hypership, but look at the difference between what these tramp freighter captains pay at Storacenda and what they get. I've been looking at it for a long time. Maybe if we had a few ships of our own, these planters would be breaking new ground instead of cutting their plantings, and maybe we'd get some money on this planet that was worth something. You have a good idea there, son, but maybe there's an angle to it you haven't thought of. Con puffed slowly at the cigar. Why couldn't they grow tobacco like this on Terra? Soil chemicals, he supposed. That wasn't his subject. You can't put this scheme over on its merits. This gang wouldn't lift a finger to build a hypership. They've completely lost hope in everything but Merlin. Well, can do. I'll even convince them that Merlin's a space station in orbit off Koshai. I think I could do that. You know what it'll cost? If you go ahead with it, I'm in it with you. Make no mistake about that. But you and I will be the only two people on Poitem who can be trusted with the truth. We'll have to lie to everybody else, with every word we speak. We'll have to lie to Flora, and we'll have to lie to your mother. Your mother most of all. She believes in absolutes. Lying is absolutely wrong, no matter whom it helps. Telling the truth is absolutely right, no matter how much damage it does or how many hearts it breaks. You think this is going to be worth a price like that? Don't you? he demanded, and then pointed along the crumbling and littered mall. Look at that. Pretend you never saw it before and are looking at it for the first time, and then tell me whether it'll be worth it or not. His father took the cigar from his mouth. For a moment he sat staring silently. Great goo! Rodney Maxwell turned. I wonder how that sneaked up on me. I honestly never realized. Yes, Con, this is a cause worth lying for. He looked at his watch. We ought to be starting for Senta's, but let's take a few minutes and talk this over. How are you going to get it started? Well, convince them that I can find Merlin and that they can't find it without me. I think I've done that already. Then convince them that we have to have a ship to get to Koshai. And... Won't do. That'll take money, and money something none of this gang has. You heard me talk about the stuff I found out on Terra. Father, you have no idea what all there is. You remember the old Force Command headquarters, the one the planetary government took over? I know where there's a duplicate of that, completely underground. 
It has everything the other one had, and a lot more, because it'll be crammed full of supplies to be used in case of a general blitz that would knock out everything on the planet. And a chain of hospitals. And a spaceport, over on Barathrum, that was built inside the crater of an extinct volcano. There won't be any hyperships there, of course. But there'll be equipment and material. We might be able to build a ship there. And supply depots all over the planet. None of them has ever been opened since the war. Don't worry about financing. We have that. His father, he could see, appreciated what he had brought home from Terra. He was nodding with quick head jerks at each item. That'll do it, all right. Now listen. What we want to do is get a company organized, a regular limited liability company with a charter. We'll contribute the information you brought back from Terra, and we'll get the rest of this gang to put all the money we can twist out of them into it, so we'll be sure they won't say, ah, Niflheim with it and walk out on us as soon as the going gets a little tough. Rodney Maxwell got to his feet, hitching his gun belt. I'll pass the word to Kurt to get a meeting set up for tomorrow afternoon. What'll we call this company? Merlin Rediscovery Limited? No, we keep Merlin out of it. As far as the public is supposed to know, this is just a war material prospecting company. I'll impress on them that Merlin is to be kept a secret. That way we'll have to engage in regular prospecting and salvage work as a front. I'll see to it that the front is also the main objective. He nodded down the mall toward the sunset, which was blazing even higher and redder. Well, let's go. You don't want to be late for your own welcome home party. They walked slowly, still talking, until they came to the end of the mall. The escalators to the level below weren't working. Now that he thought of it, they hadn't been when he had gone away, six years ago, but he could remember riding up and down on them as a small child. For a moment they stood in the sunset light, looking down on the lower terrace as they finished their cigars. Senta's was mostly outdoors, the tables under the sky. The people gathered below were looking at the sunset, too. Litchfielders loved to watch sunsets, maybe because a sunset was one of the few things economic conditions couldn't affect. There was Kurt Fawzi, the center of a group to which he was declaiming earnestly. There was his mother and Flora, and Flora's fiancé, who was the uncomfortable lone man in an excited feminine flock. And there was Senta herself, short and dumpy, in one of her preposterous red and purple dresses, bubbling happily one moment and screaming invective at some laggard waiter the next. They threw away their cigars and started down the long, motionless escalator. Con Maxwell, hero of the hour, marching to destiny. He seemed to hear trumpets sounding before him, and an occasional muted Bronx cheer. Chapter 4 The alarm chimed softly beside his bed. He reached out and silenced it, and lay looking at the early sunlight in the windows, and found that he was wishing himself back in his dorm room at the university. No, back in this room, ten years ago, 
before any of this had started. For a while he imagined himself thirteen years old, and knowing everything he knew now, and he began mapping a campaign to establish himself as Litchfield's juvenile delinquent number one, to the end that Kurt Fawzi and Dolph Kelton and the rest of them would never dream of sending him to school on Terra to find out where Merlin was. But he couldn't even go back to yesterday afternoon in Kurt Fawzi's office and tell them the truth. All he could do was go ahead. It had seemed so easy, when he and his father had been talking on the mall. Just get a ship built, and get out to Koshai, and open some of the shipyards and engine works there, and build a hypership. Sure, easy, once he got started. He climbed out of bed, knuckled the sleep sand out of his eyes, threw his robe around him, and started across the room to the bath cubicle. They had decided to have breakfast together his first morning home. The party had broken up late, and then there had been the excitement of opening the presents he had brought back from Terra. Nobody had had a chance to talk about Merlin, or what he was going to do now that he was home. That, and his career of mendacity, would start at breakfast. He wanted to let his father get to the table first, to run interference for him. He took his time with his toilet, and dressed carefully and slowly. Finally, he zipped up the short waist-length jacket, and went out. His father and mother and Flora were at the table, and the serving robot was floating around a few inches off the floor, steam trailing from its coffee urn and its tray lid up to offer food. He greeted everybody and sat down at his place, and the robot came around to him. His mother had selected all the things he'd been most fond of six years ago. Shovel-snout bacon, hot cakes, starberry jam, things he hadn't tasted since he had gone away. He filled his plate and poured a cup of coffee. "'You don't want to bother coming out to the dig with me this morning, do you?' his father was saying. "'I'll be back here for lunch, and we'll go to the meeting in the afternoon.' "'Meeting?' Flora asked. "'What meeting?' "'Oh, we didn't have time to tell you,' Rodney Maxwell said. "'You know, Khan brought back a lot of information on locations of supply depots and things like that, an amazing list of things that haven't been discovered yet. It's going to be too much for us to handle alone. We're organizing a company to do it. We'll need a lot of labor, for one thing, jobs for some of these tramp-towners. That's going to be something awfully big, his mother said dubiously. You never did anything like that before. I never had the kind of partner I have now. It's Maxwell and Son from now on. Who's going to be in this company? Flora wanted to know. Oh, everybody around town. Kurt and the Judge and Clem and Lester Dawes. All that crowd. The Fozzie's office gang, Flora said disparagingly. I suppose they'll want Khan to take them right to where Merlin is, the first thing. Well, not the first thing, Khan said. Merlin was one thing I couldn't find out anything about on Terra. I'll bet you couldn't. The people at Armed Forces Records would let me look at everything else, and make microcopies and all, but not one word about computers. 
Forty years and they still have the security lid welded shut on that. Flora looked at him in shocked surprise. You mean to tell me you believe in that thing? Sure. How do you think they fought a war around a perimeter of close to a thousand light years? They couldn't do it all out of their heads. They'd have to have computers, and the one they'd use to correlate everything and work out grand strategy plans would have to be a dilly. Why, I'd give anything just to look at the operating panels for that thing. But that's just a silly story. There never was anything like Merlin. No wonder you couldn't find out about it. You were looking for something that doesn't exist, just like all these old cranks that sit around drinking brandy and mooning about what Merlin's going to do for them, and never doing anything for themselves. Oh, they're going to do something now, Flora, his father told her, when we get this company organized. You'll dig up a lot of stuff you won't be able to sell, like that stuff you've been bringing up from Tenth Army, and then you'll go looping off chasing Merlin like the rest of them. Well, maybe that'll be a little better than just sitting in Kurt Fawzi's office talking about it, but not much. It kept on like that. Khan and his father tried several times to change the subject. Each time Flora ignored the effort and returned to her diatribe. Finally she put her plate and cup on the robot's tray and got to her feet. "'I have to go,' she said. "'Maybe I can do something to keep some of these children from growing up to be Merlin worshippers like their parents.' She flung out of the room angrily. Mrs. Maxwell looked after her in distress. "'And I thought it was going to be so nice having breakfast together again,' she lamented. Somehow the breakfast wasn't quite as good as he'd thought it was at first. He wondered how many more breakfasts like that he was going to have to sit through. He and his father finished quickly and got up, while his mother started the robot to clearing the table. "'Con,' she said after his father had gone out, "'you shouldn't have gotten Flora started like that.' "'I didn't get Flora started. She's equipped with a self-starter.' If she doesn't believe in Merlin, that's her business. A lot of these people do, and I'm going to help them hunt for it. That's why they all chipped in to send me to school on Terra, remember? Yes, I know. Her voice was heavy with distress. Con, do you really believe there is a... that thing? she asked. Why, of course. He was mildly surprised at how sincerely and straightforwardly he said it. I don't know where it is, but it's somewhere on Poitem, or in the Alpha system. Well, do you think it would be a good thing to find it? That surprised him. Everybody knew it would be, and his mother didn't share his father's attitude about things everybody knew. She hadn't any business questioning a fundamental postulate like that. It frightens me, she continued. I don't even like to think about it a soulless intelligence. It seems evil to me. Well, of course it's soulless. It's a machine, isn't it? An air car's soulless, but you're not afraid to ride in one. But this is different. A machine that can think. Con, people weren't meant to make machines like that, wiser than they are. Now, wait a minute, Mother. You're talking to a computer man now. Professional authority was something his mother oughtn't to question. 
A computer like Merlin isn't intelligent or wise or anything of the sort. It doesn't think. The people who make computers and use them do the thinking. A computer's a tool, like a screwdriver. It has to have a man to use it. Well, but... And please, don't talk about what people are meant to do. People aren't meant to do things. They mean to do things. And nine times out of ten, they end by doing them. It may take a hundred thousand years, from a Stone Age savage in a cave to the captain of a hyperspace ship, but sooner or later they get there. His mother was silent. The soulless machine that had been clearing the table floated out of the room, the dishwasher in its rectangular belly gurgling. Maybe what he had told her was logical, but women aren't impressed by logic. She knew better, for the good old feminine reason, because. Wade Lucas wanted me to drop in on him for a checkup, he mentioned. That's rubbish. I had one for my landing critique on the ship. He just wants to size up his future brother-in-law. Well, you ought to go see him. How did Flora come to meet him, anyhow? Well, you know, he came from Baldur. He was in Storacenda, looking for an opening to start a practice, and he heard about some medical equipment your father found somewhere and came out to see if he could buy it. Your father and Judge Ledoux and Mr. Fawzi talked him into opening his office here. Then he and Flora got acquainted. She asked anxiously, What do you think of him, Con? Seems like a regular guy. I think I'll like him. A husband like Wade Lucas might be a good thing for Flora. I'll drop in on him sometime this morning. His mother went toward the rear of the house. More soulless machines, like the house-cleaning robot and the laundry robot to look after. He went into his father's office and found the cigar humidor, just where it had been when he'd stolen cigars out of it six years ago and thought his father never suspected what he was doing. Now, why didn't they export this tobacco? It was better than anything they grew on Terra. Well, at least it was different, just as Poitem brandy was different from Terran bourbon or Baldur honey rum. That was the sort of thing that could be sold in interstellar trade any time and anywhere. The luxury goods that were unique. Staple foodstuffs, utility textiles, metal products could be produced anywhere, and sooner or later they were. That was the reason for the original pre-war depression. The customers were all producing for themselves. He'd talked that over with his father. He wished he'd had time to take some economics at the university. He found the file his father kept up to date on salvage sites found and registered with the claims office in Storacenda. Some of the locations he had brought back data for had been discovered, but, to his relief, not the underground duplicate force command headquarters and not the spaceport on the island continent of Barathrum, to the east. That was all right. He went to the house defense arms closet and found a ten-millimeter navy pistol and a belt and spare clips. Making sure that the pistol and magazines were loaded, he buckled it on. He debated getting a vehicle out of the hangar on the landing stage, decided against it, and started downtown on foot. One of the first people he met was Len Yanaguchi, the tailor. He would be at the meeting that afternoon. He managed, while talking, to comment on the cut of Khan's suit and fingered the material. 
Ah, nice, he complimented. Made on Terra? We don't see cloth like that here very often. He meant it wasn't armed forces salvage. Father ought to be around to see you with a bolt of material to have a suit made, he said. For goose sake, either talk him into having a short jacket like this, or get him to buy himself a shoulder holster. He's ruined every coat he ever owned, carrying a gun on his hip. A little farther on, he came to a combat car grounded in the middle of the street. It was green with black trimmings and lettered in black. Gordon Valley Home. Gums. Tom Brangwen was standing beside it, talking to a young man in a green uniform. Hello, Con. The town marshal looked at his hip and grinned. See you got all your clothes on this morning. You were just plain indecent yesterday. You know Fred Karski, don't you? Yes, now that Tom mentioned it, he did. He and Fred had gone to school together at the Litchfield Academy. But the six years since they'd seen each other last had made a lot of difference in both of them. He was beginning to think that the only strangers in Litchfield were his own contemporaries. They shook hands, and Con looked at the combat car and Fred Karski's uniform. "'What's going on?' he asked. "'The System States Alliance in business again?' Karski laughed. "'Oh, that's the Colonel's idea. Green and black were his colors in the war, and he's in command of the regiment.' "'Regiment? You need a whole regiment?' Con asked. "'Well, it's two companies, each about the size of a regular army platoon, but we have to call it a regiment so he can keep his old rebel army rank. "'We could use a regiment, Con,' Tom Brangwen said seriously. "'You have no idea how bad things have gotten. Over on the East Coast, the outlaws are looting whole towns. About four months ago, they sacked Waterville, burned the whole town, and killed close to a hundred people. That was Blackie Perales' gang.' Who is this Blackie Perales? I heard the name mentioned in connection with the Harriet Barn. Blackie Perales is anybody the planetary government can't catch, which means practically any outlaw, Fred Karski said. No, Fred, there is a Blackie Perales, Tom Brangwen said. He used to be a planter, down in the south. The banks foreclosed on him when he couldn't pay his notes, and he turned outlaw. That's the way it's going, all around. Every time a planter loses his plantation, or a farmer loses his farm, or a mechanic loses his job, he turns outlaw. Take Tramp Town here. We used to plant nothing but melons. Then, when the sale for wine and brandy dropped, the melon planters began cutting their melon crops and raising produce, instead of buying it from up north, and turning land into pasture for cattle. The people we used to buy foodstuffs from couldn't sell all they raised, and that threw a lot of farmhands out of work. So they got the idea there was work here, and they came flocking in, and when they couldn't get jobs, they just stayed in Tramp Town, stealing anything they could. We don't even try to police Tramp Town anymore. We just see to it they don't come up here. Well, where do these outlaws and pirates who are looting whole towns come from? Down in the Badlands, mostly. None of them have been bothering us since we organized the Home Guard. They tried to, a couple of times, at first. There may have been a few survivors. They spread it around that Gordon Valley wasn't any outlaw's health resort. "'Why don't you join us, Con?' 
Fred Karski asked. All our old gang belong. I'd like to, but I'm afraid I'm going to be kind of busy. Brangwen nodded. Yes, you will be at that, he agreed. So I hear, Fred Karski said. Do you really know where it is, Con? Well, no. He went into the routine about Merlin being still classified triple-top secret. But we'll find it. It may take time, but we will. They talked for a while. He asked more questions about the home guard. His father, it seemed, had donated all the equipment. They had a hundred and seventy men on the active list, but they had a reserve of over eight hundred, and combat vehicles and weapons on all the plantations and in all the towns along the river. The reserve had only been turned out twice. Both times outlaw attacks had been stopped dead, literally. The home guard, it appeared, was not given to making arrests or taking prisoners. Finally he parted from them, strolling on along the row of stores and business places, many vacant, under the south edge of the mall, until he saw a fluorolite sign, Wade Lucas, M.D. He entered. Lucas wasn't busy. They went into his consultation office, and Khan took off his gun belt and hung it up. Lucas offered cigarettes, and they lighted and sat down. "'I see you've started carrying one,' he said, nodding to the pistol Khan had laid aside. "'Civic obligation. I'm going to be too busy for home guard duty, but if I can protect myself it'll save somebody else the job of protecting me.' "'Maybe if there weren't so many guns around there wouldn't be so much trouble.' He felt his good opinion of Wade Lucas start to slip. The liberals on Terra had been full of that kind of talk, which was why only four out of ten of last year's graduating class at Armed Forces Academy had been able to get active commissions. The last war had been a disaster, so don't prepare for another one. When it comes, let it be a worse disaster. Guns don't make trouble. People make trouble. If the troublemakers are armed, you have to be armed, too. When did you last see an air patrol boat around here, or even a constabulary trooper? All we have here is the home guard, and Tom Brangwen and three deputies, and his pay and theirs is always six months in arrears. Lucas nodded. A bankrupt government, an unemployment rate that rises every year, currency that buys less every month, and do-it-yourself justice. The doctor blew a smoke ring and watched it float toward the ventilator intake. You said you're going to be busy. This company your father is talking about organizing? That's right. You're going to be at the meeting at the academy this afternoon, aren't you? Yes. Just what are you going to do after you get it organized? Well, I brought back information on a great deal of undiscovered equipment and stores that the Third Forces left behind. He talked on for some time, keeping to safe generalities. It's too big for my father and me to handle alone, even if we didn't feel morally obligated to take in the people who contributed towards sending me to school on Terra. You ought to be interested in it. I know of six fully supplied hospitals, intended to take care of the casualties in case of a system state space attack. You can imagine, better than I can, what would be in them. 
Yes, medical supplies of all sorts are getting hard to find. But look here. You're not going to let those people waste time looking for this alleged computer, this thing they call Merlin, are you? We're looking for any valuable war material. I don't know the location of Merlin, but— I'll bet you don't, Lucas said vehemently. That was the same thing Flora had said. But Merlin is undoubtedly the most valuable item of abandoned TF equipment on this planet. In the long run, I'd say, more valuable than everything else together. We certainly aren't going to ignore it. Good heavens, Khan! You aren't like these people here. You were educated at the University of Montevideo. So I was. I studied computer theory and practice. I have some doubts about Merlin being able to do some of the things these laymen like Kelton and Fozzie and Judge Ledoux think it could. Those sorts of misconceptions and exaggerations have to be allowed for. But I have no doubt, whatever, that the master computer with which they did their strategic planning is probably the greatest mechanism of its sort ever built. And I have no doubt whatever that it still exists somewhere in the Alpha system. He almost convinced himself of it. He did not, however, convince Wade Lucas, who was now regarding him with narrow-eyed suspicion. You mean you categorically state that the computer actually exists? That, I think, was the general idea. Yes, I certainly do believe that Merlin exists. Maybe he was telling the truth. Merlin existed in the beliefs and hopes of people like Dolph Kelton and Clem Zarif and Judge Ledoux and Kurt Fawzie. Merlin was a god to them. Well, take Goo, the Thorin grandfather god. Goo was as preposterous theologically as Merlin was technologically. Goo, except to Thorin's, was a Federation-wide joke. But he'd known a couple of Thorins at the university, funny little fellows, with faces like terriers, their bodies covered with matted black hair. They believed in goo the way we believed in the second law of thermodynamics. Goo is with them every moment of their lives. Take away their belief in goo, and they would have been lost and wretched. As lost and wretched as Kurt Fawzie or Judge Ledoux if they lost their belief in Merlin. He was starting to say something like that, and then thought better of it. Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. End of chapters 3 and 4